also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock, on a rock, and established my God, and he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, many shall see it, and fear the Lord, and trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, which are to us, Lord, that they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So this is, they were remembering the next time, David remembered the deliverance of the Lord. And um, our testimony, that this talks, you know, the Passover was when they got saved out of the world, out of Egypt. And since we've been out on the street, you know, when you go out on the street, your testimony, knowing and being able to articulate your testimony, it makes a difference um, in the way people respond. Is it like a, they listen when you give them the Bible, but when you start telling them what God has done for you, there's a, like their ears pick up. They're listening beforehand, but they're listening closer when you start talking about, well, this, this is what the Bible says, but this is what, and not only is it what the Bible says, but this is what has happened in my life. This is the way God has worked, and they didn't forget when they were going uh, going into this, uh, the battle against the battle against Jericho, what God had already done for them. Um, if you look at Saul, who became Paul, um, he used his testimony all the time as his um, springboard, as it were, into sharing the gospel. In Acts 22, he speaks to the uh, Jewish mob at the castle, um, and what he starts, he starts out by explaining where he was. He said, verse uh, 22, uh, chapter 22, sorry. He said, verse 1, Men and brethren, fathers, hear ye now, mighty men, because I make unto you. And when they were heard that he spake in Hebrew tongue to them, they kept them all silent, and he said, Verily I am a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of our fathers, and was jealous towards God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering them into prison, both men and women. As also the high priest does, priest does bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom I also received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem, or to be punished. So we see Paul says, Look, this is what I was doing when I was lost. This is where I was when God found me. And to, for you to be able to say, Look, this is what I was in. Not that you have to go into all of the details, but to be able to say, look, this is what God has done for me, this is where he found me, and this is how, you know, this is what convicted me, this is what led me to ask Christ to save me. And he goes through that in verse 6 and says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I felt... 
unto the ground. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And so Christ, he, he shares how that Christ revealed himself to him. And it's not just once, when you read, when he speaks to King Agrippa, he was using the same um, testimony in, in uh, chapter 26, Paul appears before King Agrippa, and he explains the same story. Paul used his experience, this is what I've gone through, this is what I was saved from. And there is a huge impact that your testimony will have on people, not just for salvation, but when you, you know, people are going through a hard time and struggling and you can come along inside them and say, look, this is what God has done for me. And you remember the Passover, like in um, chapter 5 of Joshua, chapter 5 verse 10, it says, that they kept the Passover. They remembered what God had done. If you will remember and share with people what God has done for you, you can lift people up in ways you may not even realize. You know, you don't, might not know someone struggling with something, but you just come along and you're just talking and you just have, it comes up in the conversation and they're going, this is what I need. And you don't know that you're being a big help to them, but God is using you. So being, know the things that God has done for you. And, you know, it's not... When I was first got saved, I couldn't uh, articulate it, but as I come down the trail a little way, I start to stop to think, you know what, this is what God has done for me. And when you start and share that, there's a change in the way people listen. So that's uh, verse 10. Um, so in verse uh, 10, that's about remembering and uh, keeping a memorial of the things that God has done for us. Verse 11, it says, And they did eat of the corn, the old corn of the land, the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn, the same day, the manna ceased on the morrow. After they had eaten from the old corn of the land, neither did the children of Israel, neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat from the fruit of the land of Canaan. So we talked um, last week about um, putting off the flesh, putting on Wednesday. Um, in Galatians it talks about um, putting on the uh, or not Galatians, but talk about putting on the spirit, putting off the flesh, putting on the new man, putting off the old man, and about um, the fruit of the spirit there is a shows you if you're putting on the new man, if you will have the fruits of the Spirit. So that's uh, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such as no more. They were eating, and so to go back to Joshua, after they had, they had put off the old man, they put on the new man, back up in the first part of the chapter we, that we're looking at on Wednesday, they are now eating the old corn of the land. They were no longer reliant 
on, on just what God had given them. Now, it's not that you know, you're suddenly you're laboring by yourself, but you start to, when you go down the trail away, you start to pick up things more than you used to. You know, well, why, why is that done like that? And you, because you've been reading your Bible, you go, you know what, that's why we do it like that. Because you've been studying, um, and faithful in studying. If you look, um, Pastor mentioned this morning about sowing and reaping, and that's um, just there in Galatians where we were before. Talks about whatsoever man and so that shall he also reap. Galatians and just a little further down from the reserve. Galatians chapter six verse seven. Say, be not deceived, God is not marked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of his flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall shall of the Spirit reap everlasting, life everlasting. Let us therefore, let us not be weary and well-done, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. If you go, I'm not spend too much time in the book of Ruth, but if you go to the book of Ruth, there is, there talks about the gleaning. Ruth was a widow, um, who had married an Israelite, her, her husband had died. And if you go to verse 1, of, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Ruth, so this is Ruth in a big declaration of uh, trust in God, so she, uh, her salvation, as it were. Ruth said, If thinking not to leave me, Lord, to return from following me, after thee, for where thou goest, I will go, and where thy, thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God, and whether and where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so, do so, and more to me, and more also, who brought the death part me from thee, part thee and me. So we see Ruth was saved, but she was poor. She was not old, nothing more than a beggar. And God didn't provide in his law a welfare program where you go to the government and get a cheque. You still had to go out and work for what you got. Um, and it was the law then, they're not allowed to take everything out of the field, but they had to leave gleanings. So if you dropped um, some of the corn from your bundle, you weren't supposed to pick it up again. If you dropped, you know, you weren't supposed to wholly reap, to fully reap the corners of the field. But so in chapter 2, verse 2, and, um, and Ruth the Moabitess, Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of popcorn, after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, Go, my daughter. Go down to uh, 15, verse 15 and 16, and you read, And she was risen, and when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, men say, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let some or have let fall also some of the handfuls of handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. She was consistent in Boaz's field and she went from just the gleanings to Boaz instructing his men to leave enough for her on purpose, to leave handfuls on purpose. And when we, you know, it's a, um, if we take it for reading our Bibles, for instance, as we read to our Bible and we're consistent in reading our Bibles, 
We will go from gleaning and God will go, you know what, he's been faithful, she's been faithful, and you will leave handfuls there on purpose and you'll be reading and then you'll come across a verse and you'll go, you know what, that it really jumps off the page at you. And you see something you've never seen before, but if you hadn't, if you've just given up when you know you're only getting little bits, and you give up there on the gleaning, you never get to the handfuls of the purpose. You have to stay faithful. Um, for time's sake, if you go to the end of the book, in chapter 4, her faithfulness led her to being part owner in that. When she, she ended up marrying Boaz in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, says, And Boaz said unto the elders, and unto the all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech, and all, all that was Elimelech, and all that was Chilion's, and all that was Malon's, out of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth and Moabites, the wife of Malon, I have purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. Verse 13 it says, So Boaz, took her and she was his wife. And so you see, her faithfulness, she was faithful and she ended up owning that field. Basically, when you, there's a law, you become a heart, a heart owner. I've also got stuff in trouble with that, but uh, um, I won't go into that, the uh, time and confidential. But um, when you get married, you own Everything you own is no longer yours. It's half and half between you and your wife, or you and your husband. And so she became a part owner in the field that she had gleaned. She had started just getting, you know, the scraps, the leftovers that had been missed. And then she was given handfuls on purpose. And at the end, she was, uh, you could have all she wanted. She, you know, the, the field was hers, not, not just the gleaning. Um, so, you know, you can, if you look in your Bible, you know, take your Bible reading, your Bible study, your prayer, your coming to church, the more you go, the more you are faithful in it, the more God will be leaking for you and eventually you end up, you know, as Christians, we will end up inheriting all the promises of God. But it starts with us cleaning, it starts with us being faithful. That's the starting ground. Um, and so that's your verse 11 and 12, and what I really would like to focus on tonight is the rest of the 13 um, through 15. It says, um, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. So just uh, pause there. So Joshua here in the, in the verse, he goes out of the camp, he's away from everyone else. And he is, uh, he has a problem, he has Jericho, and he's been assigned by God to destroy all and everything in the land of Canaan, uh, man, woman, child, and cycling. And, and Jericho is the first city. At this point, he is a leader without a battle, battle plan. And so he's by Jericho. I think, really, if you were assigned, and you or I were assigned to it, you'd look at it and you'd say, well, We've been assigned to take the castle. We're going to need some battering rams. We're going to need a uh, catapult. We're going to need uh, siege equipment, a siege tower. We're going to need to dig a moat. So he's out by Jericho with this great big problem of how am I going to take this city? 
and he's out there, and he meets Christ. So if you, and we'll get to verse 12 in just a minute, but this, the man he meets, he says he's the captain of the host, verse uh, 12 says, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. Um, that's in Revelation chapter 20, I think, verse 19, Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened up, and behold, the white horse of he, and he that sat upon him, and he that sat upon him, was called faithful and true, and right and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he, and he had a name that written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in linen, clean and white. So we see this the leader is the Word of God of the armies in heaven. And of course, First John, chapter one, uh, John one, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Um, same as in the beginning with God. You jump down to fourteen, and it says the Word of God became flesh. It was made flesh, and God made us. So, the captain of the host of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He is. Um, the commander-in-chief of the armies. Um, and so Joshua went out there with his problem. He went out alone. You know, he had a public uh, prayer life. You know, he would pray with the group with, uh, in the tabernacle. Um, in uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 6, it says, And Joshua went to close and fell upon the earth. And fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until Eden died, and the elders of Israel, he and the elders of Israel put dust upon the head. So he had a public uh, prayer life. He was there, he was praying with the elders, but he also had a private uh, time where he got alone with God, he got away from the crowds, and he had his problem, which was Jericho. And when he met with this man, at first you know, he doesn't know that it's Christ. Um, but he, the man introduces himself. He says, um, Art thou for us or for our adversary? And the man, who's Christ, responds, No. He said, no, I'm not for you or for your adversaries. I'm not here for that role, but I'm here as captain. I'm not uh, here to be a runner boy for you. I'm not here to um, be a runner boy for the enemy. I'm here to lead you in what you're going to do. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. And the host of the Lord right then was the children of Israel. They were the armies of the Lord doing the Lord's work, and they were being, Christ came to be the captain, and as uh, the captain, the commander-in-chief, he is the one who provides the battle plan, or, and approves the battle plan, to before it was put into action. Um, so, he met with Christ alone, um, and there is, 
you know, we had our prayer meeting and it was good and necessary to meet together and pray together. But it's also necessary for us to pray alone. You know, don't wait till, uh, till the prayer meeting and then bring all your prayers. You can pray, and Christ tells us to pray alone, to pray in secret. Um, so that's Matthew. If you go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Thou when thou prayest, be not as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. So we are instructed to um, yeah, to pray as individuals, as quiet in behind the scenes, and to really not, you know, when you talk about in your closet, I could look at my closet at the moment, but you need a place where you can go aside and no one can hear you talk to God, because there are, there are problems that you will face that you can't lean on someone else, you know, sometimes we will go to our brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes the pastor and get advice and counsel and I've done that and it's good advice because it comes from God's word. But there are things that you can't carry. You know, with Joshua, he was the leader. He was on top. There was nobody else to consult about the problem of Jericho. If you, um, I don't know when, but I'd like to go over the city of Jericho. It's a stronghold. It's a castle, a fort, and he, his job was to take it. And how many, you know, he had fought in an open field against the Amalekites. You know, uh, Pastor Howell preached on that, about Aaron and her holding up the hands of Moses. And they, he had fought in an open battle. He wasn't, wasn't like he was entirely breathing for warfare, but when you stick up a great big castle wall that's big enough for people to live in between you and your enemy, it changes your battle plan. And so Joshua had never faced uh, he'd never had to lay siege, you know, and even if he had, it was before on the other side when Moses was there to lean on. He could lean on Moses for guidance, for counsel, and Moses could be away praying, and he didn't have to worry so much because Moses was the leader. But Moses was gone, Moses has died, and now he has to face the problem of uh, breaking into the castle and taking it. Um, and to do that, he's out there, he's by Jericho, he's considering this problem of him. And he meets with Christ while he's out there. Um, and on this, you know, there's times, and I'm not anything special, but when I find that when I get watching too much of the news, I get uh, really discouraged about the state of this nation. I I don't know, I'm raised patriotic. Um, that flag, when it's on the pole, means something to me. It's not just a rag. It's our nation, and it's uh, everyone in it. You know, yep. We're only five million people, but five million is still a lot of people that don't necessarily know where they're going. Now, obviously, some do, you know, we're here, but the reality is the large proportion of it, this nation is dying and going to hell. And that's what that flag means to me. It means souls that are saved. It means 
I know I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. It's my country. It means something to me when they're down there in Wellington destroying the land that I love. Um, and they're doing all of this stuff to twist and to get off of it, but they, they talk about you know, our, our struggle for oil, well, why don't we drill our own oil and that will solve the problem with the oil, getting oil from Russia, from the Middle East. But you know, it, there's simple things that just don't make sense in the way they're running the country. And if I sit and watch the news, I get like I'm getting now, and I can keep going for hours of how the government is wrecking our country. But the reality is me having a rant about it, to you, to you all, to anyone else, is not helping. If I, I can talk to you about it, but the reality is, what are you going to do? You're just going to agree and listen and throw some fuel on the fire <laughs> um, and you know, throw your opinion on it. Um, but when you, you can go out, and I go out in the bush, there's a particular patch that I like to go out to because you know, in the house, uh, the walls are very thin and um, you, know, you can't pray in secret. I don't really have a closet in the house, but I go out in the woods. And I can pray and I can shout and I can, I can cry to God all I want and no, no one's, well, someone's heard me, they haven't said anything yet. <laughs> you know, I, I typically I'll take a hymn book and I'll go and I'll sing a hymn and I'll go and, and I'll read a section of the scripture and it's not that it's, there's a relief in taking your burden and casting it on God, the, the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we turn there. says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Joshua had this problem of how, how am I going to take the city? And he met with Christ, and, and after that in the chapter, the next chapter, he's given his battle plan. After he met with Christ, he was given his battle plan, this is how you're going to do it. And it wasn't anything like he was expecting, I should imagine. Walk around the city like an idiot. You know, just walk around, don't say anything, don't, don't murmur, don't complain. Just to walk around once a day, six days a week, for six days, and then on the seventh day walk around seven times. And then shout, you know, as far as he's concerned, that's nuts. Where's the battering ring? You know, we're, we're trying to take this city. but. God's ways, the Bible says, are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are higher than our ways, our uh, ways and our, His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Um, but to go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Um, this, the, the word casting, we, we use it in fishing, though, to go fishing. Um, Um, but casting means to throw, to fling, to send, or to drive from by force of hand. So it's to take something and throw it. God says, don't, it's not, he doesn't need to say, give me your problem. He doesn't say, you know, just put your problem down. He says, throw it. He says, throw it with force to get rid of it. You know, if you throw something away from you, it's away from you. And if, you know, if you've got it attached to your fishing line and you throw it away, you're going to end up reeling it back in. You know, to, to use that and not, not to uh, get on anyone's position, but uh, to use it as an example, you know, you have your bait on the end of the hook and if you say that's your problem and you fling it out there and you, then you start reeling it back in, well, you know, you go back, for me, I go back to watching the news and I start reeling my problem and my stress, I start reeling it back in. 
and I start thinking, well, you know, what, what if I try this? You know, what if, what if somebody come along with it? And I start reeling my problem back in. And you know what? I may end up with a bigger problem on the end of my hook than 2,000 years. I mean, you might catch it first. Now, I haven't caught, I think I've caught three or four fish, so that's why I get my fish. But, uh, you know, you can you end up with a, a bigger weight on the end of your fishing line by reeling it back in. But if you take that and you cast it away and with no lines attached, you give it to God unconditionally, no, no strings attached to it, and you really let it go, then it's gone. It's in the Lord's hands. And you're, you know, to not stress about it is to let it go. You know, you're not, when you're fishing, you, you throw that line out there and your bait's attached to that line. You have a line attached, if that was your problem, you have a line attached to it and you're always wondering, is that bait still on the hook? When you're fishing, is that, you know, I've been sitting here a while, nothing's happened, is that bait still out there? Is my problem still out there? I better reel it in and check. You know, has God, you know, for, for, uh, illustration. If you're throwing your problem out there and you're reeling it in and you're, you know, is, is, has God got my problem still? I better check. So you reel it in and, yeah, God's still got my problem. Send it back out. And you end up in a cycle rather than taking it and uh, don't do this, but you take your problem to the edge of the wall and <laughs> in the bucket and drop it and leave it. <laughs> now, don't do that because uh, and don't tell them I said to do <laughs> You know, they'll, they'll uh, you'll get in trouble if you go dumping off the end of the wharf. But if the Bible says um, that we are to uh, cast our care upon Him, for He cares for you. And this is what Joshua did when he was faced with this problem. It's what Elijah did, um, I think, for those who remember back to the... Um, Missions conference. We had a the youth that um, those who stayed behind in the youth. There was like a devotion, like what you call it. Um, Pastor Jono talked was talking about Elijah um, and about how his battle was depression, and Elijah had you know. He had his depression in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. He had gone through all of this fighting against Ahab and Jezebel. And he killed, uh, um, killed all the uh, prophets of the groves and all the um, priests of Baal that ate Jezebel's table. And he's run. Now Jezebel threatens to kill him. He's on the run. He's fearing for his life. And he goes that way out in the wilderness. Uh, Forty days he was up. Uh, he runs. Um, he went from Israel to Bethsheba. This is First uh, Kings chapter nineteen, verse three. And then from uh, Bethsheba he went a day into the wilderness, and uh, there God met him. He comforted him a little bit to the rising heat, and he gave him the, the bread and the coals. And Pastor John went into all of the, the details about the individual things in that passage. Uh, I don't have time to tonight, but uh, you get down there, and he ends up 40 after, and verse 8, he goes 40 days and 40 nights into his horror, into horror of the mountain of God. And he came um, hither to a cave, 
And Lot stared. Behold, the words of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, and forsaken thy commandment, and thy covenant. Thrown down mine altar, and slain thy prophets to the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the, rock, the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And so it was, and Elijah went, and so it was, and so forth. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out, and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, for the Lord God of hosts, because of the children of Israel, because of the children of Israel, have forsaken my covenant, and thrown down my mouth, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take away. So he takes the burden and he casts it on the Lord. He, he throws it out there, you know, he's not uh, worried about, you know, he's saying, God, there's no one left, it's me, it's me only, and I've about had enough. If you read uh, back in verse, uh, verse 4, at the end of verse 4, uh, it says, It is enough, O Lord, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father. Elijah wanted to die. That's how bad it got for Elijah. Um, but Elijah could only see what Elijah could see. He couldn't see what God could see. God has a higher plane, a higher level, and a higher view of things. God's view is in, in eternity. And when we set our eyes on eternity, our view changes things down here that are a trouble to us aren't so big a trouble because at the end of the day heaven's on the other side. At the end of the day it's working uh, an eternal weight of glory. Um, but if you read there, God gives the solution to his problem. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint the king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, me, what's that? How shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room? And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have me left seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed to Baal, every mouth which is not, hath not kissed him. So God gave him new purpose. He went out, he took his problem um, and he went to God with his problem. And not to, not to uh, necessarily say anything bad on people who are psychiatrists, but this is where they get psychology from. They get the idea of you go and have a counseling session. But the problem I see with that is they take the place of God. 
and you learn to rely on man rather than God. You, you learn to think, well, if I go talk to this person, it'll be alright. That person can only help you by talking to you. They can't supernaturally change things around. They can't turn the tides of wars and battles inside you, whereas God can. If you read over in the next chapter, there's a, a fight in the plank, it talks about the battle as a plank to the battle of the hill. You know, they said, well, God, their God's the God of the uh, plains. So we're going to fight. I can't read it. And it's in, in 23. And the servant of the kings, I'm sorry, it says under him, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they are stronger than we. Let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. So they, the Assyrians, assume that God, they put a limit on God, and God, that, that time, God said, all right, because they have presumed that I am not all-powerful, I'm going to show you, that, show them, and you that I am all-powerful. But that, um, if you go to First Kings chapter 20, Verse, start in verse, uh, verse 13 says, And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, the king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou, hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. Then he said, Who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. And when he numbered the young men of the princes of the province, they were two hundred and thirty and two. And after them, so these, those were the captains over the host that was going to fight this battle, two hundred and thirty-two. And after them he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being how many? Seven thousand. The seven thousand that didn't bow the knee to Baal are the seven thousand that won the war. When Elijah was there on the mountain. He assumed that there was no hope for Israel, that he was the last one left, and that nobody else was going to do anything else to improve the situation in Israel. But God said, no. You can only see what I've got you doing. You can't see these 7,000 other men that God used later on to win that war. There was, you know... Uh, a greater solution to that problem than Elijah had realized. And because Elijah got focused on his little part of the world dealing with the king, he neglected... How funny, they were the, where were they from? They were from the province or they weren't from the cities? <laughs> they weren't city slickers, they were the kids from the country. <laughs> um, in all seriousness though, but, um, they fought that battle with 7,000 men that Elijah didn't know about. You know, there's, we, we have a problem in our nation, and we might be tempted to look at it, and I get this way if I, what I said, when I watch the news, I get this way. I start to think, well, we're just as well, you know, down live in the hills and the bush, and let the nation self strike, and we'll start again when we just uh, in our country for us. <laughs> Oh, you know, <laughs> or, or uh, what's a financial wonder guy, um, Robertson. I wouldn't call him a financial advisor because he doesn't exactly do much more in the budget. 
advice, but not good advice anyway. Um, but, you know, I get to thinking, well, they're going to ruin the country. You know, I, I get to stressing, and the reality is, uh, this world is not our home. We're just passing through, and as much as I want, you know, I'm not going to, you know, and I pray for the country and I pray for the nation. But at the end of the day, this is not what I'm here for. You know, I might have been put in, you know, I'm put in New Zealand, I'm to serve in New Zealand, but to be overly attached when this world, we know it's going to be corrupted further and further. I'm not saying, oh, we we'll just lay down and arms like it. I sometimes get to think of that, you know, just go to the bush. Before I moved down to Auckland, it was actually, and I didn't know it, but I found out that people do it. They spent six months out in the bush at the time on, with a gun, and they just hunt fossils and animals, and they could come in every six months and sell their skin and their fur, and go back out in the woods. And that's kind of what I thought about doing at one time. And I found out that other people do it. So I could have, you know, I. Sometimes I get tempted to just, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of dealing with this, so I'm just going to go and live in the woods and no one's ever going to hear from me again. But that's not the response that God has. God said to Elijah, when Elijah ran away in the woods and in the mountains, God said, go and find these three men, find um, Azor, and he's going to be king of Assyria. Jehu's going to be king over Israel, and Elisha um, is going to be prophet in your room, and the work of God's going to carry on regardless of the state of the nation. And the nation's going downhill, but there's still a prophet, there's still people who are out there who, who care about the state of the country, and if we, you know, those 7,000 men, to, to fight that battle, they had to come together, they had to fight together. If we are going to pray, you know, uh, God has the power to turn this nation around. If we're going yep. to pray and ask God, then we need to unite around, you know, for our nation, you guys are like for our nation, but you're just Olivia, so, you know, pray for our nation, pray for your nation. If we unite together in prayer for our nation and alone, you know, not just, you know, uniting as a group, but in our private time, praying for this nation, we can, it's not that we turn it around, but God could turn this nation around because the Bible says that the hand of the Lord is not slack that he cannot save. But that those sins, uh, it's in uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. Verse 1 Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Yep. But your sins have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue have muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any plead for truth. They trust in vanity, and they speak lies. They conceive mischief, they bring forth iniquity. And you read on and on about, about you know, God has... Why, why is God not listening? And God says, I'm not listening, and I'm not hearing, and I'm not watching, because of your iniquity. It's not that I don't have the power, but it's that I'm not going to use it until you get straightened up. And when you, uh, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, 
seeking her with the can you look at her? The eyes of the Lord are going to come throughout the whole earth. Um, talking to the, uh, one of the, I believe it's Isaiah talking to one of the kings. Um, So the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong to the heart of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore, henceforth shall ye have wars, and shalt, thou shalt have wars. So that king didn't trust God to deliver him. He called, I think, uh, one of the other kings, I think Ethiopians or the Egyptians, and he said, you're going to deliver me, not God. And they turn to a foreign power rather than God, you know. Sometimes I think, get to thinking when I have, I get to, you know, uh, you know, well, the state of the nation is like it is, you know, what, what can we do? I start getting to think, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a governor general and our governor general is uh, lousy useless appointed by the liberals, but uh, the Queen or can intervene legally, technically. You know, so why don't we we'll just appeal to the Queen and we'll have the Queen send the British military down here and sort the government out down in Wellington. Just, just go in and wipe a clean slate down there. But the reality is the answer is not in force and might. The reality is that the answer is in God. If you go back to Isaiah, chapter 59, you see um, God lists all of these things, you know, about their iniquity and how the fails right down um, to verse 15. He's still listing it. It says in verse 15, Yea, truth falleth, and he departeth, and, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it was pleased him that there was no judgment. Sorry, verse 14, go back up to there, says, When judgment is turned away backwards, and justice standeth far off, for truth has fallen on the streets, and equity cannot enter Europe. That's the state of our nation. There is no truth in our street. You, if you go down the street, everybody is in some form of lie or another. And there is no real judgment, no real justice given to those that need it. And equity is not met, you know. Um, but it says, uh, verse 16, verse 16, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that was no, there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness did sustain him. For he put on, on righteousness his breastplate, and, for an and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was stabbed with zeal as a cloak. And According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay his fury to his adversary, his recompense to his enemies, and to the islands he will repay recompense. Verse 19, so shall they fear his name, and fear the name of the Lord from the west, from the, and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up the standard against him. The enemy is already in. The devil, you know, we talk about Jericho. Jericho is a stronghold, and I don't want to get into all of it tonight, but we have a stronghold in our country of our 
uh, government overspending and just throw money at the problem. It has become the solution to whatever problem that comes up, throw money at it. You, we have the stronghold of the Sodomites in this land. You can't say anything against them without being uh, hate crimes or hate speech or shut down. It's become a stronghold. And how are we going to deal with it? When the enemy, that verse says, when the enemy has come in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. So the song, I think we might have just added it to the screen, I don't think we've sung it much here, but uh, sound the battle cry, see the foe is nigh, raise the standard high for our Lord, gird thine armor on, stand firm everyone. Christ is captain of the mighty throne. Right, yeah, Christ is captain of the mighty throne, that's it. And the chorus is rousing soldiers, rally around the banner, onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throne. That was Joshua's solution to the problem. He met with the captain of the host of the Lord, says there, but nay, nay, but as captain, uh, Joshua 5, 14, it says, but nay, as, but as captain of the host, of the Lord, I am now come. God is willing to turn this nation around. God will lift up a standard. But when God lifts up the standard, are you there with them? When when they went to war in the old days, they would have a flag. They would have the nation's flag and they would have the unit flag. And those two, the flag would be held up and carried by their men. And when that flag went, all the unit went. If that flag went forward, they went forward. If they came back, they came back. To be the standard bearer was to be the marker. If you wanted to demoralize the men, you shot the flag bearer because they could, they had no direction. They lost all communication with where they're supposed to go. And at that point they're helpless when there is no standard. But when that standard when you get the standard bearer was shot, the next man would take it up and pick it up. And you carry on the fight. It's the standard bearer, the one setting the standard who comes under the heaviest attack. Pastor sits and he says, well, this is the way, not because of what I say, but because this is what the Word of God says, this is how we're going to run this church, you know, and there's people who have left over that, who won't stand by the uh, standard of the Word of the Lord, and those that are here are to rally around it, because he is under more attack as a pastor of this church than anyone. The one who sets the standard high, the bar high, and says, you know what, that, that's, this is, accept, is kind of acceptable. It's not, it does, the one who will say, the thing, everybody will say, well, this isn't so bad. And the person will say, well, yeah, it's not so bad, but it's still bad. I'm going to leave it aside because it's, it's not so bad, but it's still bad. So I'm going to leave that aside, and I'm going to hold myself to this as a standard, the Word of God, and I'm going to be strict on myself about what I will and won't allow in my life, in the household, in my family, in the pastor, in the church, you come under more of more of an attack from not even necessarily the enemy, but even Christians who don't think that that's this, you know that's right. They they call you a fundamentalist extremist. Um, they could be you know, a fact we went up. Um, last Christmas we were out fellowshipping with mum and dad and there was a, a, a evening do in the park 
and me and Tim were there, and this, there was this um, guy in the, they must go to their church, he said, uh, uh, are you the King James Prince? Just, just in the middle of the park. You know, he said, I, I used to read the King, don't, don't be angry, uh, but I used to read the King James Bible, but, you know, now I read the New King James version, I find it easier. The man's problem was he said, don't be angry. He was worried what me and Tim thought of him, not what God thought. He, thought, he went, started going to a church that was anti. He surrounded himself with those kinds of people and he became what the people were around him. Um, there's a saying, you are now, or you soon will be, what your friends are. Or show me your friends and I'll show you who you will be. Um, Amnon, when Amnon ended up raping Tamar, it was his friend Jonadad that pushed him into it, that led him into it. Um, Where's that? Uh, just look up Amnon. The Bible says he had a friend named Amnon. Um, But 
we are to turn to him and not to our fellow man. For at the end of the day, for the Bible is the answer and the authority, the final authority in matters of faith and practice. You know, this is the standard of the Lord, and that's what we're to uphold, and not, well, you know, I think it's like I get to thinking sometimes, you know, let's, let's hold in the British military and just give us a clean slate down in my LinkedIn. Everyone who wants to live, get out. <laughs> Yeah, that's not the answer. The answer is in prayer to God to pray as individuals for the same goal and to pray collectively for the same goal. To unite together around the standard of God and to be consistent, be faithful in it. Um, and the Bible says, in due time we shall reap if we faith not. You know, we could turn this nation around with the power of God if we chose to. If we chose to believe God's word, we could do it. But it's whether we will believe God's word, whether we will submit ourselves to the word of God and follow His way and His methods instead of our own imagination. Um, so that is me for tonight because I'm out of time. Um, but our battle plan comes from Commander-in-Chief, which is Jesus Christ. And it's his leading and his directing that meant that Joshua could take the city of Jericho. Um, and I don't know when, but sometimes it would be good to look at the city of Jericho and what it is, what it, uh, how to identify it, how, uh, what it's made of and how to deal with it. But um, for another time. Right now, it's uh, let's pray. Pray, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening, Lord. I pray, Lord, help us, Lord, to take our burdens to you, to cast them upon you, not to give it in again. But, Lord, to take it to you, to throw it from you, and Lord, to leave it to us. And, Lord, to trust you to deal with it, Lord, in the way that you see best, because you can see from the highest perspective on us. Lord, uh, we pray, we do pray for this nation, Lord, that you turn us around, Lord, that uh, we would be in such a state in ourselves and in our church to be able to think, Lord, of use in the saving of souls and of the uh, saving of this nation, for the saving of souls around the world, Lord, to pray help us, Lord, strengthen us for your work, Jesus, and we pray. Oh, my.